Hello, and welcome back to Present Company. In anticipation of Ozark's return to Netflix this Friday, today is all about the Emmy Award-winning series that first captivated audiences in 2017, with its gripping portrayal of the birds, a Chicago family laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel in central Missouri. Over the course of the three seasons thus far of Ozark, I had the privilege of speaking separately with director, producer, and lead actor Jason Bateman, as well as his fantastic co-stars Laura Linney, Julia Garner, and Tom Pelfrey. Not only will we be bringing together those conversations for you today, but we have a very special guest here to guide us through what we need to know before tuning in to Ozark this Friday. Bill Keith. Bill is our resident Ozark expert here at Netflix Q keeping readers updated on the show's many twists and turns, plus bringing them exclusive behind-the-scenes content from the making of the series. Well, this is really exciting. Uh, Today in the studio, I have Bill Keith, a uh, former colleague, I don't know, partner in crime, soldier in arms, however you want to say it. All those things. And... uh, so first of all, just thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Great to see you. And it's kind of ironic that we are actually going to be talking about uh, Ozark on Jason Bateman's birthday. Like, oh, how coincidental yeah. is that? that we're, we're, we're talking about him, uh, and it is his birthday. So happy birthday, Jason. Happy birthday, Jason Bateman. All right. So I'm a, I was a huge fan of Ozark from Jump. I just loved it. Yeah. Uh, this whole idea of... Jason Bateman, everyone, they always say, like, he's every mom's favorite heartthrob. We all, you know, guilty as charged. I love Bateman. He's funny. He's talented. It's like we knew him from Silver Spoons, um, all his comedies, et cetera, et cetera. And I actually, um, the film he directed, Bad Words, I still think it's a masterpiece. So oh, if you haven't seen it, listeners, watch it. It's worth it. It's a really good laugh. And we all need a laugh uh, yeah. at this point in time as we enter the third year of our um I don't know. What are we calling this? Not really pandemic. I Whatever, don't know. Whatever like the opposite of a rumspringer is. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but I have brought, I have lured Bill out of the house to talk about Ozark and everything you need to know before you watch the fourth and final season. And this season is going to be uh, split up into two chunks, basically. So the first one is dropping in a few days. And we want to make sure you're prepared. So there will be some spoilers, just so you know, if you haven't seen anything. But there is still time for you to start with season one and get caught up uh, should you want to. And I would say it's kind of worth it. It's very, very fulfilling, this series. So, Bill. Yes. What do you love about Ozark? You know me. I'm always happy to talk about Ozark. I can go for like hours. (laughs) So I hope you carved out two hours for this episode. Uh, no, it's it's so great. And yes, I, I would agree. This is not something to jump into if you haven't watched earlier seasons. It's all there. Just go do it. Um, and I usually watch it like as soon as it comes out. And I think it's it's wise that they broke it up into two chunks because it's so much to take. It, it's definitely absolutely super dark. But like Jason Bateman and Laura Linney, they're there. And that's kind of what I think you love about it. It's like here are these people that you don't expect to live the most incredibly dark and complicated life. And there's something that's sort of like weirdly wish fulfillmenty about it. Like, I don't think any of us wants to be like under pressure to launder money for a drug cartel. But it's like they get to do some really nutso things, like literally acting on like their deepest, darkest id impulses. And it's just sort of like, would I do that? I think I would. Oh, God, would I do that? And you get to watch it play out. And you're just sort of like, I mean, confronted with a drug lord who's asked me to launder $600,000 today, how would I do that? Mm-hmm. And they're so oddly relatable in these situations. So you're like, Jesus, you know, Marty Bird is his name. And like, it started out because he like kind of found himself having to launder some money. <laughs> like he was like, you know, a suburban Chicago money manager and like, his business partner did something shady. So he's like, okay, I can take care of this. And then it just kind of like snowballs from there. And then all of a sudden you have his wife who's like, uh, step aside, I got this. Mm-hmm. Like in, in the most complicated and complex ways. And like season four, it's just like, oh my God, there is no tentacle there. Messed up relationship with money laundering and heroin and it, Big doesn't pharma. Touch. Big oh, pharma comes in and it's just like, <laughs> they're dealing with all these senators and, and like, it's just like, Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, talk about, oh, what a tangled web. But it's like, I think by the time you get to season four, it's like Wendy is super into it. Like, she's charged up by this, you know? Like, I think we know that she used to kind of run local political campaigns or something. And 
kind of stepped away from that and now she's like really fired up like she turns to her brother at one point and it's sort of like when you're running for your life at all times like everything else seems super boring mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well what I, I do love the Wendy Wendy Bird played beautifully by Laura Linney yeah. and what's so great about her in this particular role, and I know how uh, Bateman and Chris Mundy, who's the showrunner, really wanted her for this because she adds a le- she already adds a layer just by showing up to this character. So right. when we first meet her in her, you know, capri pants and bad kind of soccer mom, hockey mom, whatever you want to say, yeah. stereotype look, she seems very, you know, unthreatening and just kind of reactionary. And then as it plays out, you realize, oh my God, she comes to the forefront of this. Yeah. And and the nerves of steel and the wine. The wine drinking, too, is what I love. There's yes, so definitely. much wine drinking. I'm wondering if you could do one of those super cuts of how many times, you know, Wendy has her goblet. And all right. big, important decisions seem to be made with a glass of wine in her hand. On, like, that beautiful back <laughs> view, like, overlooking the lake. And if they have to kill somebody, she, like, might dabble with brown liquor. Yeah. But it's just sort of like, um, okay. But, yeah, it's like, that's her gift, right? Yeah. Is that, and I think that's why, ultimately, like, Navarro at the end of season three is like, Oh, this one's the clutch player because, like, she's it's so unsuspecting that she's the one that's very easily going to be like, Yeah, we should probably kill that person. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like, whereas Bateman is like kind of freaked out by it. Like, he's like perfect in his role in the criminal operation because he's able to sort of mastermind these schemes. But like, Wendy is like the clutch player who's like, No, 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 we got to go, we got to go harder, you mm-hmm. know? And it's just like, but that. God, that like Laura Linney placid look that like made her perfect for so many other roles is just like, I think like sort of the gift of this character is that like you wouldn't expect her to be mm-hmm. a criminal mastermind, but she yeah. like can't break. Nothing shakes her. Yeah, it is true. And I think like one of my favorite things, like I have a couple of favorite things to talk about, but the one thing that I love about one, two and three is it, it gained momentum from the female POV. Totally. Like you, you. And we're not even talking about like the <laughs> the unicorn of all unicorns, which is Julia, Julia Garner. Garner. No, I know yeah. that's ep- that's episode three of this sub podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Like that unicorn that like I'm gonna kick the shit out of you. Like just the right. language and that she is is I think Chris Mundy described her as like feral. Yeah, absolutely. And Perfect. they were gonna watch her evolve as we watch the birds. Devolve, right? And I think that's such an accurate uh, summation of these characters because you see Ruth, who I was obsessed with, obviously, just her face is yeah. you're, you can't not look at her. And then that character is so just so interesting and even made, you know, even better, obviously, taken off the page by by the actress herself. Yeah. But watching her evolve was great. And watching Laura evolve and then watching Helen come in. So suddenly we've got talk about pantsuit nation. I mean, we've got her and her silks. Yeah, high waist and her shoulder pads and her silks and fighting with Ruth and then fighting, you know, she had her own daughter and then Wendy's daughter, Wendy and Marty's daughter, Charlotte. Yeah, I loved all that goes. Um, So if I were to have to say, like, that's one of the through lines I'm most interested in seeing is how Ruth evolves into season four and what they're going to do with the kids. Because now the kids have their own personalities. Totally. They've dabbled a little. Like, they're, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to do with the kids. and what. I mean, they're basically grown. I mean, they've had to grow up super fast. But also, they're like, I don't know, 14 and 16 or 15 and 18. Yeah, they're right there. They're right there. And so it's sort of like, there's this weird thing. I think, like, if you wanted to be like, oh, I just can't. And I can say this all because I don't have kids. So no one's going to be listening to this. I mean, like, I can't believe he said that about his own. But, like, there's this weird thing where you're like, I would never ask my kids to come into this operation, but it's sort of like, but you know, they're like, oh gosh, I remember in second grade, he said that one thing. Yeah. Uh, he's got it in him. Let's use it. You know, mm-hmm. like they're like, let's put him on the computer. And then she's the front house, front of house lady, you know, but like these kids are coming into their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see that. And then um, the, <laughs> okay, so spoiler alert here, but the last take of the of the if you okay. haven't seen this take I mean. okay but right the last the last episode the last scene of the season three you watch Helen get murdered right it's totally shocking get yeah. point blank surprise no one anticipated that and you just see the birds with her splattered uh, remains on their faces and it's end scene and yeah. I and I do know that that was 
in one take because they didn't want to have to get dirty again and do all that again right. and have multiple <laughs> takes. So, you know, the professionalism of Jason Bateman and, you know, Laura Linney, one take and done. But that was, I think, one of the best cliffhangers of any series I've ever seen. And I've seen so many series. Right? It was so powerful and so strong. So where do we go from there? Yeah. I don't know, but I can't wait. Um, but clearly they're alive and right in Mexico. So, well, it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And it's sort of like, what do you do from there? Just from like outdoing yourself, you know? And like the show has done so many shocking things, but that was like next level. I don't think anyone expected Helen Pierce to be gone, let alone in a way that you've, ne- I mean, this show has so- shown some things, but that was just like shocking. And in fact, most of the stuff has largely been off camera, like alluded to. And mm-hmm. this was, <laughs> her death was very like front and center depicted pretty mm-hmm. much. And then, yeah, it's just sort of like, what is happening? And what was he saying with that? Because then he says, what does he say? like it's a new beginning you know and <laughs> yeah. it's like oh my god and they always have such amazing music cues on this show because like Chris Mundy used to be a Rolling Stone journalist so there's always these songs that come in and you're like what oh god so yeah I mean this next season I don't know how they're going to end it they feel uh, you know in talking it's to it, Chris though. and Jason it's done yeah, right yeah, yeah this is it and they, they've said they've ended it exactly how they wanted to. You know, I don't think they had a map. Like, we could go on forever. <laughs> like, the, and they feel good about it. And they, uh, well, Chris Money said, like, I'm sure some people have an issue with it, but I wouldn't feel right about it. Like, if people care enough to be upset about it, I'm good, you know? Right. So, um, but. Valid. Yeah. But it's, uh, I don't know what they're going to do. And I don't know how, like, I assume that sort of, I don't know, could, if, like, there's like a first half of the last season, like the end of that. Like, how do they end that as a response to this because so much of the show like I feel like they're always thinking like of a balance right so mm-hmm. like well one other thing I want to also which we didn't mention was uh Darlene Snell like that oh. whole okay right? so Lisa Emery by the way brilliantly played Unreal. and that's another in the female yes. uh you know, POV. I love how all of these different aspects of personality and women are represented and they're all just as fierce as the next one. But that in particular, I'm curious about her relationship with her younger boyfriend, where the baby's, yeah, yeah, Wyatt, where the baby's going to end up, like how all of this is going to play out um, is certainly interesting. But I do think at the end of the day, it's obviously right. You know, you have to have the words on the page. You have to have the story. But I feel like what has made this special is the performances. Unbelievable. And all the people there aren't like, no one's trying to steal a scene from anybody here. You know, like everyone is just so talented and so confident in what they're doing. And it's such an oddly quiet show. And you're just like looking and then someone else goes and you're like, oh my God. Oh, my God. But you get the sense because, like, Bateman, I just feel like he's just sitting there going, no, I'm fine over here. You guys go. Like, especially to actors like Lisa Emery and Laura Linney and Julia Garner. He's like, you guys got this. Please, Mm -hmm. by all means. Mm -hmm. It's so cool to watch them just go. Yeah, he's and he listen. He's directed a lot. He got an yeah. Emmy for it. That was pretty huge. So I'm um, I'm curious. All right, so I want to talk about some, uh, you know, fan favorite rumors out there about oh. this show. Okay, uh-huh. so the first one I want to get your take on. So these are some theories for season four. Is Ben really dead? And you think about it, we never saw the body, no. we never saw murder. It was implied, but there right. could have been a lot of bodies. There are, there are a lot of bodies and a lot of murders in the show. So yeah. what well, do you think? Well, I was thinking about that, too, because I, I feel like also there was like such a response to Ben and Tom Pelfrey playing this character so well that it's sort of like, part of me, like I had assumed that it was definitely written that he was dead, but then were they like, wait a minute, like, people are really responding to Ben. Like, do we kill off one of our best characters? And they've done that, right, like, Mm -hmm. plenty of times. But, like, for that reason alone, I feel like they could just bring him back. Or there's definitely going to be, he's so good, like, at least give us some flashback with Ben. Maybe maybe we will get a flashback of the actual murder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Or, like, maybe they actually show Wendy what she led him to. Like, you know? Give us a little something, right? But I don't don't think he's, like... I think because that drives so much of the action. I don't know. I I don't think he's alive, sadly. Also, another fan favorite is what kind of deal did Marty and Wendy cut with Nelson, the hitman, behind Helen's back? So did they know about it? Like, that's another thing. Like, that's another fan favorite. I don't know. Um, Because if you go back and watch, that guy was like in many, many crucial scenes. 
but like never says anything, mm-hmm. you know? A great gig for the actor who never literally had to memorize a line. But he, show, <laughs> but he gets paid. He shows up like in every episode. <laughs> All right. And then the dynamic. Okay, here's the other dynamic. When this show started, Wendy and Marty were almost getting a divorce, right? right. It was there yeah, to get a divorce. It was this whole thing. It was the whole premise. Um, Wendy, ha- you know, Wendy having the affair, one of my favorite scenes. And actually, Jason directed this episode is when the body's thrown out of the window. Right. And Just watching like... that body fall and how they had to do that and the crane and all that stuff. And that noise. So, and that noise. And just like, then you knew this show was going to be, you were in for the ride, right? When yeah. you see that body getting, you know, flung out the window. But what's going to happen to them? Like, is Marty doing all this for Wendy? Is Wendy doing all this for Marty? And where is the FBI coming in? Because that's another big chunk. And I feel like there's been, in our real world, outside of the Ozark world, there's been all this FBI. And, you know, there's it it feels like it's going to permeate this a little bit more. Like, I I feel like there's going to be some kind of showdown. I think there's, I mean, it's definitely like the underlying thing of the show. Because if you think about it, like, it is about this family. And it's always just charting the course of the family and the relationship between Marty and Wendy and the kids. And every season is like a different moment in their relationship so while all this crazy action is happening it's still about the birds so i feel like ending the series is all focused on that you know and i don't know what that means for that family but i think that's like what's in chris mundy's head the whole time he's writing this is like what does this mean for the birds is like always a question he's got to be asking so like wendy and marty in a really screwed up way seem like they've never been better yeah like you know they sort of are like i value you for this you're good at this like they were kind of going behind each other's backs there was a great series of scenes with the therapist in season three amazing and then sadly that woman of course gets killed because she knows too much but like i feel like they're kind of on the same page now and they're like let's do this like we we're in so deep like there's nothing darker there's nothing that we can't do so let's just do it together and also there's like you know imagine dating after this like they they can't like find a second wife or husband like they, they, these two literally only know only the other knows what the other's been through so like we got to stick together right you know like this family those kids like please no amount of therapy so they're together this foursome i do kind of love them together too that yeah the, oh, oh yeah. it's just so great um all right so let's talk about the uh cartel cuz that's another yeah. little We've got a yeah. four-legged stool here, right? So I'm kind of curious what is going to happen um, in that whole scenario because it made big news that Alfonso Herrera is going to be playing Javi, right? Yeah. So he's the nephew, yeah. right, of the, you know, set to kind of take over the Navarro family uh, cartel. Uh, I'm wondering what's going to happen there between um, Javi and Omar. Like yeah. what? What is, where is Zach going to be and who's going to take sides? I feel like we've got another little piece that's going to happen there. Yeah, and like presumably he's not. They they were getting. I mean, look, Navarro is getting kind of cozy with the birds in an odd way. Like he's he's a little for a cartel runner. He's kind of warm and fuzzy in some mm-hmm. ways with them, you know. And he has these like very humanist mo- uh, like moments with uh, Wendy on the phone. So like presumably when Javi comes in, like these non-family members that he's getting cozy. I don't think he's going to be thrilled about that. And, you know, so he's got to deal with that. He also has to prove himself in some way. And I don't think it's like through accounting. Mm -hmm. So like, it's going to get pretty gnarly. I can only imagine. Why did Omar pick Wendy and Marty over Helen? Because Helen seemed pretty terrifying, terrifying, loyal, beyond capable, shrewd, uh, as we've already said, looked great in a pantsuit, yeah. was able to like blend in. It was all it was all working. So I'm wondering what that nugget is of what made him think I'm choosing these people over her. Yeah. I want that answered. Right. Well, I mean, he I mean, he owns them and that, you know what I mean? Like he owns the birds and that moment sort of demonstrates that. So I think he would much rather, and I don't know if he felt that way or he felt like he was losing a grip on Helen Pierce or something, but, you know, in that moment, he's like, so I'm give, I'm gifting you running this, but never get comfortable. Never mm-hmm. get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And as close as you think we are, because at some point earlier in the episode, Wendy says something about like, or in the season, like something like, I thought we had an agreement. And he's like, you are here for me to use you. You know, like he's always super honest about his, you know, his feelings. And so like... I, I feel like that moment, he was just like, I'm putting these people in power, but also reminding them, it's always me. Right. And it gives him that kind of cover that he wants, that like yeah. married, Midwestern married couple 
Yeah. Uh, you Get know. Them, send them to Big Pharma. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about Ruth. What do we want for Ruth? Yeah, no. I mean, I think we all want for Ruth. It's sort of like you're saying, like, the evolution and the devolution. Like, life's been so terrible for this woman, and she's, like— Oddly, like, the birds give her hope. Like, there's, like, maybe a way out. Like, it's, like, running drugs and selling heroin. But there's, like, a way out of, like, her current predicament Mm -hmm. in a life that's a little bit larger, like running a casino. Well, she's an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. She is the true American spirit of an entrepreneur. I mean, you think about what she makes, you know, she makes a way out of no way. So I love that about her. And I want the world for her. Absolutely. And and I feel like Wendy never liked her. But I do feel like her and Marty, like, he, I feel like Marty is, she's, like, a second daughter to him. And he does trust her. Yeah. And so when she hurts him, the hurt is deeper, vice versa. Yeah. But I really want it all for Ruth. And it's yeah, really. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to get that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the. Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. But uh, yeah. No, totally. I, yeah. You want so much for it. I mean, it was heartbreaking when she found love with Ben. I know. And then at the end of season three to lose him. It was like the first time you ever saw her vulnerable. I know. So, yeah, I would, lo- I would love everything for Ruth. And she's such a good businesswoman. Mm-hmm. So. And she's got such a great mouth on her. I mean, so, I mean, like, every every. I want to say all like, those lines, right? I know. I was about to say like any of them. I'm like, no, no. This is a family program. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. There's so she's so good and so unexpected too. Like when you like ever talk to Julia Garner in the in real life, it's like, huh? Yeah. Like I think she's from Manhattan. You know, like there's yeah. nothing about her that is Ruth. She's, she's a so superstar. Good. I she's mean, when a you total superstar. When you think about these things of of. You know, it's got to be so much fun for Bateman to completely play against type and yeah. be able to direct and, you know, really like stretch his visions and, and all of that. And for Laura to play this kind of character that she's never played on screen before. But what I really love as a fan out there in the world is that sense of discovering a new talent. Yeah. And that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. You look at, you know, she's gone on to do amazing things, won the Emmys. Yeah. She looks great in fashion. We know we see her totally. in a lot of Chanel. She looks amazing. Yeah. But I feel like in 30 years, is you're going to like say to like a young person, did you ever see Ozark? Yeah. You like they won't even remember. It's like, no, no, no. She she was in this amazing series. Like I know that now she's like, you know, whoever. Well, she's Julia Garner. But, yeah. you know, like it's just she can do so many things, I feel like. I know. It's like when you think is is TCM still going to be around? Right. And you see like <laughs> totally. the new person interviewing the 90 year old Julia Garner. I know. It's <laughs> yeah. so crazy to think we're the old people now, Bill. How did that definitely, happen? Definitely. We're still here. <laughs> 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 Suddenly overnight we became, yeah, the old people now, right? It's just so yeah. nuts. Um, okay, this is a question I have for you. So yeah. in all the locations yeah. that we visit in the Ozarks, of which I've never been, yeah. but I'm so curious about, yeah. um, which location would you like to be in? Would you like to go visit and spend a day in the trailer park kind of camp? Do you want to go and be stuck in the mid-century modern house around the table with Chinese food and wine? Do you want to be in the casino? Do you want to be on the boat? Okay. Well, I can say using insider information from people who have been there and spent time there, a lot of time. So counter to what you're thinking, that trailer park setting is stunning in real life. And it is the best piece of land of anywhere that they shoot in like when when they're not shooting, everyone like goes there to get, grab lunch and hang out. It's like a stunner of a location, and wherever. So like there, like if we're actually talking about the actual physical space. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I do want to be on that back lawn, spread out over the lake with Wendy having some brown liquor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like there's a house right next door where people live and like craziness is always happening. Like they're screaming all sorts of craziness and then they look over they're like, thanks again, Williams family. That's a wrap. You know, like whatever it is. <laughs> like that house is incredible and they use it yes. so well. Like that long glass hallway that they're always walking down to like the bedrooms and it's a really, really cool location. I guess it's all like Georgia, right? Somewhere outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that trailer park apparently is like on the most amazing clearing right on the water. Wow. So okay. So I would go there. All right. I do that. Counterintuitively. Yes. <laughs> otherwise, there's like always, what was, were they wolves that they had? They accidentally brought like three male wolves because they thought they were going to breed wolves and they forgot they needed a man and a woman mm-hmm. wolf. Anyway. I don't know. I've now. Ne- I always wondered if the uh, tourism of the Ozarks uh, went up with this show. Yeah, it is weird because it's you're not like, oh, I can't wait to check out Liggety Splits, but like the lake itself does look beautiful. 
Right. <laughs> even and, like that club that was, or like the the place, the Blue Cat, was that what yeah. it's called? Like even that looks sort of cute. Like mm-hmm. I'd love to have a beer there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know gnarly things happen, but it does look kind of good. Right. Not for everybody, just for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Everybody, well, it's a nice, good drink. They make a nice martini. Right on the water. Right on the water. Yeah. Do a little gambling on a boat. Reasonable yeah. rates. What's the cost of living? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it's been great to see you, Bill. You great have to, to you. come back on. Yeah, to for the final seven. For the final seven. We absolutely have to have a um, uh, another discussion after yes. we after this stuff drops uh, and everyone binges it in, you know, 24 hours. Or right. Two Has days. a really dark weekend with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Now that we're all up to speed on what we can expect from season four of Ozark, let's take a look back at our previous conversations with the stars of the show. While it's obvious that Ozark's success can be greatly attributed to the many incredible performances the cast delivers, another key element that all the actors I spoke to touched on was their deep admiration for showrunner Chris Mundy, who has been with Ozark since the very beginning. Here is Laura Linney, Jason Bateman, and Julia Garner on this subject. I have moments where I think, oh God, not not many other actresses are able to swim around and, and stuff like this. And I think it's a combination of just a great showrunner, Chris Mundy and his great writer's room. And, and you know, the, the realization that, that female characters can be really interesting and have a lot to contribute. And having a, you know, a, a lead actor in Jason Bateman who who has encouraged it and been supportive of sharing a show with an ensemble of people. Um, you know, it's it's I'm just lucky that it came to me when it did. Well, that's a good testament to Chris Mundy, our head writer and, and his staff, you know, that they are able to craft whatever violence or, you know, criminal challenge through the experience of these characters that are supposed to be recognizable, right? They're, they're supposed to be kind of human and people that are not too dissimilar to us. Um, and that's, I would imagine, a very hard thing to do, that you have to write people that are so real yet raw, yet um, intelligent, but not so intelligent that they would make smart decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that kind of weave that they managed to do that I think is is that path to anxiety because uh, we can't see us in them. Everybody on the on the Ozark production, from crew to Jason Bateman to Chris Mundy, or showrunner, every, everyone, and all the actors. It, they're so wonderful, and they're not only so good at their um, – everybody's like – it's a well-oiled machine. Everybody's so good at their job, but they're also just really nice people. As noted by his fellow cast members, Jason's contributions as lead actor, executive producer, and occasional director have greatly shaped both the creative and logistical production of Ozark. During the first season, Jason was responsible for directing Ozark's gripping pilot episode that hooked so many viewers on the show, including myself. When there's violence, it happens kind of in the left corner of the frame and it's out of focus. Like, that's kind of how you would see a body falling out of a building. Like, you, you know, you're not watching it come down. You, it, you just hear it and you think you saw a flash and you turn and the body's already on the ground. So. I, I just, full disclosure, I rewatched that about five times. Yeah. <laughs> and Ford, my youngest, was in the room. And uh-huh. so all he said, Mommy, Ozark, remember when the body fell? <laughs> You're going to lose like, your mom card. Yeah. I just basically lost my parenting card. Mm-hmm. It was at 20 seconds. I was like, oh, my. I was obsessed with that scene about you walking and the body and the right. noise and the leg and the shoe falling off. I was just like. I was so glad the way that turned out because I oh, I had always, perfect. when I read it, it was, the, it sneaks up on you in your read. And so I thought, well, what's the, what's the visual component of that surprise? How do we make that kind of coming out of left field? So what, what are the, what are the two minutes leading up to that? You know, what do they look like and sound like where you're not preconditioning the audience for that? Uh, again, where does it fall in the frame? What does it sound like? Um... 
it should probably be in, in one continuous take. We shouldn't have the camera pointed at the body coming down. It should, or following it. Um, and so I wanted to drop that body from a crane. Um, so I wanted to do it practically. I didn't want to have it, you know, digitally kind of thrown in there. So we had to do this uh, with a cable. We had to put the, the dummy um, on a cable so that there was no wind risk of it blowing into me because I wanted to walk as close to it as possible. And so I said, well, wait a second. We're going to have this thing slide down a wire. Well, not a wire, two wires. So it's a double wire. So there's going to be no rotation on it. Like it would be flailing a little bit. And I really got really granular with the dummy too. I was like, well, listen, let's, we, I don't want a rubber dummy because it's going to bounce. Body wouldn't bounce. And believe me, I know this because I looked at these horrendous pictures from our technical consultant, um, this EMT guy. Uh, so I was like, how do we construct this dummy so that it doesn't bounce? Do we put water, do we, you know, throughout it? Um, and then the answer would be no, because if the water comes out, it's water, it's not blood. I said, so then should we color the water that goes in? It was all of this stuff. So anyway, so we did it three times. Uh, one of the times it landed weird. The other time um, the shoe came off, but the leg bounced a lot. So we had to digitally go in there and eliminate the bounce. And then we had to find the right sound. And so all of these things are like really a fun part of directing because you're kind of, you're, you're designing what that experience is for the audience. Because if you clank that moment, then it's like, oh, well, that was fake. It's got to be a little messy, a little, no, it it's really fun. I couldn't yeah. quite believe it. When Jason is not in the director's chair... He's on screen, acting opposite his many talented co-stars, including Laura Linney, who plays Wendy Bird. Back when Ozark was first being cast, Jason was adamant that Laura was the only one for the role. All right. So finally, of course, we have to talk about Jason Bateman. I know early on he had always had you in mind to play Wendy, his wife on Ozark. But how did he go about convincing you to do it? I don't know. I don't know if he did or not, but he, he certainly did convince me to do it. Right. You know, I had um, I had lunch with him about it because I wasn't looking to do another television show. And I find television most of the time very challenging. It's a challenging medium to work in um, because you don't have all the information. You're having to guess what's coming. It's it's, it's a different culture. And I respect it tremendously, but at times it can be, it can be hard to work within. And so I was, uh, I was a little reluctant to look at a, a series that I might be locked into for a long time. And I sat down with him and this has always worked well for me in the past. You just sort of have to trust your gut. And I've always really liked him. I didn't know him very well, but I had run into him a few times over the years. And I always thought like, what's going on with that guy? Like, there's more to that person than just a funny man, straight man, funny guy. Like, what's going on there? And I just thought, yeah, like, let's go do something that's a little dangerous and unpredictable and is going to require people to work hard and be vulnerable. Like, good. It's going to, it's like, the material is going to have to be good. People are going to be working outside their comfort zone. Like, good. Okay. I'll do that with you. With you, I'll do that. Let's give it a try. And, uh, and I'm really, really glad that, uh, that it, was, it was so obvious to me sitting with him at that lunch that it was a good thing to do. Another key cast member who has delivered standout performances in each season is Julia Garner, who plays the tough yet vulnerable Ruth Langmore. Ruth is very complicated, but I think the thing that was very important that I, I, I saw very early on from just reading the mock scenes that I got in the audition. It was very important that, you know, not the reminded the people, my scene partners, but reminded the audience that something separate, that she's a child, that she had to have a childlike quality that it made it scary when she was going to do something unpredictable because she was very smart, but also in a way when it's, it's like a, I don't want to say like a doll, but you know when you see a doll on the street, you don't really think anything about it. But then when you see a doll on a shelf and then you close the light and you're like, that's scary. It's because there's something so familiar and Mm -hmm. things that are really scary can be very uh, 
that's things that are familiar can be very scary. That's why people watch TV. Even if it's the darkest show, they want to they want to feel something in a way. So I felt like that was very important for Ruth to have that childlike quality. That's why she has that even that watch just as something as simple as a cat watch that's going to make it. But then she's going to be like, I'm kill, I'm going to kill you with my cat watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of it's and any purse. any. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I feel that's how I feel about any art, any really any good art is like a contradiction you know it's like she's gonna kill someone but then she has that kitty cat watch and that or or or, uh any art is a contradiction in a way it's like and that's and any good art because that's that's what's gonna make you think this past season we met a brand new player in the already highly complex world of ozark ben davis wendy's younger brother played by tom pelfrey so tell me about just getting to be ben I was also a fan of Ozark before I had anything to do with the show. Um, I guess when the second season came out on Netflix, I binge watched both of them within a week, you know, and I just loved the show. I love the characters. I love Harris Ewell and Jason and Laura, obviously just everything about the show, the, the, the tone of it, the, that, that crazy violence, the sort of heightened reality and the, the, uh, the tension with the comedy, you know, and that was the part of it that I couldn't believe that they were continuously able to pull to me. They were maintaining a sort of menace and a sort of believable threat. Um, and yet, <laughs> I, I mean, I was laughing out loud all the time. Like even when crazy things were happening, there's something about it that was also very darkly humorous, which I think is such a cool tone to have, but a really hard tone to write and a hard tone to play. So credit to them. So then, yeah, when, when Alexa reached out to me about, uh, the possibility, you know, well, you know, coming in to read for this role, which would be Laura Linney's brother. I was, I was really excited. Um, not only as a fan of the show, but just a huge fan of Laura. Um, you know, I remember one of the, one of the first Broadway shows I saw was sight unseen starring Laura Linney, you know, um, and, and I've seen her obviously in, in her movies and her TV shows and just an actor that I really, really admire and, and look up to. And, um, so yeah, it was kind of like, great. So I go in and read for Alexa and, um, we put some scenes on tape and a few weeks later I get a call and they say, I have the job. Tom is referring to Alexa Fogel, who is the show's casting director. Yeah, Alexa Fogel's been an incredible asset to this show, and and, uh, she keeps putting, you know, very difficult choices in front of us. It's not just one clear, oh, this is the person we need. Like, she's just got an incredible taste and um, just stacks our our, our choices. So, As the new kid on the set, Tom found it surprisingly easy to feel comfortable with his new co-stars. My first scene was... Just an easy scene in the patio, but it was with Laura and Janet and Jason was directing. And it was like, okay, this is basically, you know, I mean, this is my first day at work and I'm with the three, you know, sort of (laughs) three of the leads of the show. But it was so great because they were all so cool and it was laid back. I was like, wow, is this really how this job is going to be? And then the next day, yeah, I'm I'm running naked out of the house, whooping, and <laughs> it was like after these two days, I feel I feel like we've broken the ice. Like <laughs> I can be comfortable here. <laughs> Laura, in particular, immediately just came right up to me with a big smile and gave me a hug. And within five or ten minutes, I just felt like we'd known each other for a very long time. And that was all initiated by her. With Laura, there's a real generosity of spirit. You know, she's a very giving person and very supportive. She works really hard. She's so smart and she's so sharp, but she doesn't wear that. You know, like she leads with, with kindness. You know, like some of those scenes in the band. I remember the one scene in particular where we're just kind of all over the place and eating French fries and stuff like that, that there were just some moments, you know, like we'd we'd done a few takes of the scene and the scene was kind of one certain way and, and it almost felt like we might be having a rhythm in that way. 
And then the next time we did the scene, just the way Laura said something, just kind of it dropped in on her. And then that affected me. And all of a sudden there's emotions and there's a response that I was not anticipating at all. I hadn't planned on, I hadn't even thought about. And, all, and, and, then, and then the scene plays out a different way. And it's like, whoa. You know, I mean, those are the gifts. Like that's, <laughs> that's what you want every time. And those are the kind of gifts you get when you work, when you work with an actor like Laura Linney because she's amazing. Anything with Tom Pelfrey was a joy, mm-hmm. just a joy. He was wonderful. That's not easy to do. To step mm-hmm. into a group of people who have already been together as an ensemble and to really be a significant contributor to a season, you know, that's, that's, that's not easy to do. And he was just heaven from the day he arrived to the day he left. He was mm-hmm. just a joy. Well, what I loved about his character is he showed everyone's vulnerability. It's like we really got yeah. to see Wendy's vulnerability. We really yeah. got to see Ruth's vulnerability. Yeah. And it just changed the whole dynamic. You know, it, yeah. it just yeah. enriched everyone's performances yeah. and the season as a whole because yeah. the complexity of it was phenomenal. While season three introduced a few new faces, it also doubled down on developing its existing characters. Here's Julia on how Ruth has evolved over the years. The one thing that is very similar with all the characters that I picked in my career is that I, I and I and I like picking this with people too. It's a sense of curiosity because a person doesn't have even have to be so well educated, but if they have a sense of curiosity, then they're willing to learn or they. Ruth has such a a deep curiosity about things that it makes it hopeful and then it makes you want to watch. You know, that's what's that I love about Ruth. So um, but because of that curiosity, I think she struggles with whether she wants to be a Langmore and still be in the Langmore life or, you know, struggling because she also wants to be a bird and she wants to move up and she's curious a life outside of mm-hmm. the Langmores in a way. That's her whole thing. I think she's shamed about a lot of things. I think she's shamed about being a Langmore. I think she has shame in a way. She, with people, like, she she knows that people don't really like her in a weird way, and she's ashamed about it because she doesn't really know how to behave. She's kind of awkward in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, she's even ashamed about, she knows how to be with men more than women. She doesn't really trust women because she wasn't ever around women. She was only around men. So Mm -hmm. I think she's, she's, she's ashamed about that, that she doesn't know how to be like a girl's girl in a way. I think, yes, she walks around with shame. Mm -hmm. And then that's why she behaves the way she behaves. That's why she acts out because shame and blame. So she feels ashamed about something and then she starts blaming everybody else. What have you learned about her over the course of two seasons? And now I know you guys are in the middle of doing the third, right? Mm-hmm. I think what I learned in the middle of shooting it, Ruth is the type of person who is very, I mean, that was obvious when I first read it, but very impulsive, meaning that she acts on it and then she thinks about it rather than thinking about it and and acting on it. And I think she's starting to realize it because she was never the type who easily got manipulated she was always the one who manipulated other people. But ever since Marty came in, kind of, she, I think she's realizing that, not that she's like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not that smart, but um, maybe I should s- stop and think about things rather than just acting on it and then thinking about it. For Ruth this season, her whole thing is trying to be something that she's not. And she is kind of having an identity crisis without even noticing. And then towards the end of the season, she starts waking up. You always learn things from whoever you're working with and everyone works very differently. And once you're not afraid of that, then, then it's, then it's great fun. Cause then you can, then you're really open to learn. You know, sometimes people will be thrown by how someone works and it doesn't jive with them and they're afraid it's going to get in the way of what they want to do. And that's just baloney. It's just, you have to be secure enough in your own work. And then you can really be open to really watching and seeing what someone else is doing and then learning from them and seeing if there's something that like inspires something in you. Um, and Julia is amazing. Julia is amazing. Um, 
a lot, and a lot of it is, it's just the perfect intersection of an actress and a role. And there's something about her inherent vocal pattern and energy that thoroughly understands Ruth and it, and it just permeates through her pores basically. And she's a fascinating actress because she's very instinctive and she almost sort of doesn't remember anything she does. And she talks about this a lot. So I'm not saying anything that, that she doesn't. um, So it's all very alive and very reactive. And I love watching things travel across her face. I love watching like cell, how the, the, her cellular structure underneath the skin of her face changes with different thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. fantastic to watch how connected she is on a very, very deep primal level to things. Mm-hmm. So I find her and she's very sensitive. So she reacts to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, and it's, and it's wonderful to watch someone who's young, yeah. you know, who's so young yeah. and beautiful and <laughs> You know, it's it's to watch someone just bloom and blossom and become more confident and more curious. And and when you get a little bit of success, it kind of gives you permission to dig in deeper. Mm -hmm. And so it's wonderful to watch someone who has been who's been given that permission. Like, yes, go keep going. We love what you do. Keep Mm -hmm. going. And to watch her enjoy it, Mm -hmm. you know, is really is wonderful. It's wonderful to watch. You know, like Julia puts in the time. She puts in the work. She takes it really seriously. Um, she works really hard. She shows up prepared like everybody on that set does. And it's really cool because, again, not always the case, you know. Um, and it's especially, not that I'm surprised, but it's especially impressive when younger actors are being that disciplined with themselves. You know, I think it says a lot about Julia and obviously she's so talented. Um, and obviously she's having all of this great success that is so much deserved, but she's still working really hard, you know, and that's, that's really cool. Julia's performance as Ruth is complemented in season three by her fellow female stars, all of whom bring new levels of depth, brutality, and strength to the screen. Although I didn't have the opportunity to speak with her, Janet McTeer raises the stakes to staggering heights as the cutthroat cartel lawyer Helen Pierce. Have you ever seen anybody look better in a pantsuit? And of course, at the heart of it all is Laura as Wendy, whose numerous power plays push everyone around her to their limits. Well, it's really interesting in this season in particular with Wendy, just the growth is so fun and delicious to watch. And she's still kind of petulant and immature on one end and then ruthless on the other end. And I feel like this season is Wendy's season. Basically, you got you ran with that show uh, in such a fun way. And I want to talk to you a little bit about um, just some specifics of it. So for you as an actress, like kind of developing, mm-hmm. what is that like? I know within a play, when you're playing a character on stage, it kind of evolves every night. You know, something is a little bit different. But what is it like when you're actually doing a series like this for a finite amount of time over years? Well, the one thing I'm glad I, I've learned this, and this just comes with experience, is that you can't play everything in one scene. That you have to trust that you're going to have time for something to roll out. So I made a lot of decisions in season one, hoping that I would be able to see it through later on. There was no guarantee of that. I made decisions that I didn't know if it would pay off at all, if anyone would ever see it come to fruition or anything, but fortunately it did. So that's the benefit of of doing something that goes on year after year after year, particularly if you're working with people who you trust and who trust you. Um, And there's a sense of collaboration. You can all work on that together. Um, so, and that's very satisfying and I know is very unique. I mean, a lot of times you just don't get that opportunity. Um, so that's one of the, the po- really positive things about working in, in a, a lo- a series that goes on for a while. As we prepare for the next installment of Ozark, it feels as though the mounting anxiety that has been steadily building through each season must finally come to a head. However, despite the dread we feel for our surviving characters, it is impossible to look away. 
this could have happened to you or me had we decided to kind of round a corner, um, you know, 10 years ago and, and pick the easier way just to make a little a little grab on some money. But one thing led to another and some more foolish kind of doubling down and things get exponentially bad. And yeah, they're, they're, they do a great job of tracking that. So good. I'm, I'm glad that that's that's it because that's that's what I kind of like to do as an actor too and as a director is kind of create a, uh, a situation that is there is no acting or there is no directing that there is just something that is you're not sure what it is but it nothing's distracting me as a viewer I'm not watching acting I'm not watching directing I'm things are being created in a way that feels um, uh, uncomfortably tangible, that mm-hmm. it's unsettling how kind of real and people aren't pressing or the camera moves aren't too showy. I'm so interested in our audience's obsession with these ethically, morally challenged characters. Mm-hmm. They're basically bad people, but they look like us. Like you said, you couldn't, you know, you could be anybody, so to speak, Marty and Wendy Bird, right? It's like the prototypes of the Tony Sopranos, you know, these right. guys. We root for them, but they're also bad dudes. What do you think it is about this character and the family that, that people just, like, gravitate to them? Or they, they – I don't know it's relate, but they love watching them. Well, I hope that, again, it, it is the words that the writers put in the character's mouth, right? They're not – they talk like regular people. They are doing regular jobs. They have a regular-looking family. They have regular temptations and convenient ethics at times, like we kind of all do. Um, but there is a, an extra step that these people are going that kind of warrants the entertainment of a show, right? Like w- you and I would stop just short of something that's worthy of asking a few million people to stop what they're doing and watch this, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you, we live pretty boring yeah. lives, you know, yeah. which means we stay out of jail. Yeah. Uh, but th- these guys kind of just go one step further. And so I, I do think it's the relatability. I, I think it is a combination of of the of the writing, the the photography of it. it. It is there's a there's an aesthetic to it that feels it feels raw. It feels like you know to get into the weeds on it all. But you know if you oversaturate the color, it feels kind of safe. If you desaturate a little bit, it feels like something might go wrong. If you score it with something that's super melodic, then it's you're not kind of preconditioned to worry about something and you don't get the audience right up to the goal line so that you don't have to make big moves to get them into the end zone Mm -hmm. of dread you know so there's all of these little things you try to calibrate to to make it um as subtle as possible when you want to move the audience left or right and when you're doing such a hard show like this like what i was saying like crying in a corner and then you know doing the scene which isn't always that's most of the time it's not always nice it's everybody's so wonderful. So it makes the job easier in a way. Mm-hmm. And then we can all laugh about c- me crying yeah. <laughs> in a corner or just something like that because it's it's hard. It's a really hard job. So that's my favorite part about working on the show is, you know, I go on other shows and everywhere else is real. I've never I was very lucky. I know a lot of actors who've had horror stories on sets, and I've I've never had that. I've always had a good experience. But Ozark's on a whole other level. It's like going back, and it's like, ah, this is really like family. And it's just a it's a light set, but it's a heavy story, and that's really important, especially shooting stuff like this. You know, for six months, you want it to be as good as it can be, and you know that you've been handed something of value. And that really good writers, shepherded by a great showrunner, have put this together, that Jason Bateman is directing the bejesus out of it. He's such a leader, but he leads in such a smart and classy way that he, even if he's having a bad day, nobody's going to really ever know because he has a whole production and a whole crew to lead. He's putting other people like he's he's not putting his drama on other people in a way. When I first get on set, Jason this season uh, directed uh, Ozark uh, season three, episode one and two. So I wasn't in episode one. 
but episode two, one of my first days at work, we're in the yard filming the scene and it's like Janet and Laura and me and uh, Sophia and, uh, and uh, Jonah and, and, and Jason's there and he's got his iPad so he can see the different camera shots. And Jason's also in the scene and, and he's going around talking to the cameras, giving them notes, yeah, pulling the actors aside, giving them notes on the scene. It's like a four-page scene. Then he walks inside, all of this happening, looking at the iPad to make sure the shots are okay. Makes the face like he's happy with it, closes it, throws it down, looks over, sees me, who's got to enter the scene later, and then starts telling me a joke. While they're like, five, four, three, rolling, whatever. And he's like, blah, 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 laughing, laughing, laughing. They're like, action. He's like, and then he turns and goes and does the whole scene. And I'm like, he, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he doesn't flawlessly, never misses a line, never like, you know, and, and, and it's like, man, that, that guy's ability to not only to multitask, which is so impressive, but to multitask in such an amazing way. Cause he's like an incredible director, in my opinion, seeing the way that he does things is out. I mean, obviously won Emmy last year, you know, like everybody thinks that, but also he never even got irritated. Like his, <laughs> his blood pressure never rose. Like there, there didn't seem to be stress about it, you know? And that was the part where I was like, Oh man, is this, is this guy even human? Like yeah. <laughs> how is he, how is he managing all this? at such a high level and not at all seeming to be bothered at all with mm-hmm. any kind of stress, any kind of anything. Mm-hmm. Like so patient, so funny, so cool, so happy. The best part of the day is um, being in a situation where you can um, gather, organize, and guide uh, a, a day for a bunch of people that you deeply respect and admire, but are, you know, by, by tradition and definition obligated to follow you, you know, like that is, um, that's a, a position that a lot of crew members and, and cast members are, 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 are uncomfortable with, um, sometimes because of leadership that's either, ill-equipped, uh, indifferent, um, disrespectful of the process, or, I mean, you know, look, most directors and producers and, and executives are fantastic people, but sometimes you'll get somebody in there that is just not as buttoned up as I feel that you are obligated to be if you raise your hand for a position of leadership, you know? I mean, it's a really privileged place to be when you're dealing with a group of people that are incredibly skilled and work incredibly hard and the payment for what they do is is not equal to the degree of difficulty. Um, so I think the least you can do is have done your homework and have a point of view and be in whatever disposition you need to be to be a sincere collaborator and all that stuff. So my, my greatest joy of it is... Um, is is sensing or hearing or or observing a degree of comfort and and enjoyment that the entire crew and production staff is having while going through a a very typical 12-hour day. You know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard work and if you can make that an enjoyable process and still do good work, um that I feel is a is the best part of what I've been able to kind of absorb over X number of years. Like, I really feel fortunate that I'm in a position to utilize that which I've learned. I don't know. There there really isn't a terrible part of it, truly. It really is, for my taste, like the best job in the world. And even when days are tough, they're probably tough because I didn't work three hours last night and another three hours this morning to make sure I was fully buttoned up on this sequence because today was complicated. I only put in a couple hours. And so then I've got to, you know, I can't nap during my half hour lunch or I can't, you know, and it's, so it just gets tiring, you know, sometimes and, you know, mentally exhausting, but what job isn't? Well, when the writing's as good as it is and your actor who you're working with is as good as he is, it's not very hard. Mm -hmm. It's really not. 
-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard when, and it's difficult and burdensome when something is out of step or out of place, when the writing doesn't support what you're trying to do, when the actor you're working with is difficult or maybe struggling, when your producer is annoying and not kind, when your crew is irritable and not engaged and you're tired and overworked, that's when it's hard. And that's when it's difficult. When everything is in place, then it's just a privilege. And that's not to say it isn't very hard work, but it's going to work. And that's a very privileged place to be. So it's because it's funny. A lot of people ask me like, isn't it hard? Aren't you exhausted? Tell me something hard that happened on the set. And the truth is, if it wasn't good, it, it you know, the fact that everything is so beautifully in place and everything is sort of aligned correctly on the Ozark set makes it not hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's nothing in the way. There's the, the, the obligation we have to, to escalate the, the, the dangers, the complexities, the challenges, both domestically and, and business-wise um, and criminally. The writers, again, are just... Oh, such a great the, Yeah, they, they're... You know, there's a great combination of real ambitious creativity, but a very buttoned-up and responsible checklist they go through to make sure that the choices that are made are vetted. And the uh, the solves to these things are not um, cheap. Well, let's let's solve that one and move on to something else. Like it's it, everything they do holds up to highbrow scrutiny, you know. And Marty and Wendy are really intelligent people, and so they have to they the writers have to weigh that against the decisions that are made. And um, so it makes it pretty narrow. Like, why don't they go to the police? this episode or next episode mm-hmm. what what are the obstacles that the writers put in front of us that make that um uh, you know an impossible choice that that's not a candidate um that we have to continue going down a path that is entertaining and compelling and a little bit you know unsettling Ozark season four part one is coming to Netflix January 21st.